Today's reading is from Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To what end? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's give Brian a warm welcome. <clears throat> Thank you. It's so good to be here with you this morning. I've been warned about the steps. Everyone that uh, has come and preached here, has, that's the first thing they say, is careful with the steps. So hopefully I can navigate this okay. Um, my name is Brian Berger, my wife, uh, Julie. We're up from Chandler, Arizona. We have uh, a 15-year-old daughter, 12-year-old boy, and we are average people. So uh, don't have too high of expectations for this morning. I, I've been a, a pastor at Redemption Gilbert uh, since it was East Valley Bible Church. It's about 10 years, and I have to uh, just... I've been, I'm paying attention online to your sermons, and you guys have launched kind of a mentorship program, which I've really appreciated, I'm interested in. But I have to, some former mentors of ours just showed up in the room. So Tom and Carrie Golden live in Tucson now. When Julie and I were probably 23, I would guess, we're 40 now, we entered a small group, and Tom and Carrie were significant mentors to us. So we probably haven't seen you guys in 13 years. But I told Tom, I said, I thought about you this week because Tom told me when I was a 20-something, the first week of October, you got to replant your uh, winter grass. And so literally every year, October, first week, I think, of, I think of Tom and his advice that he gave me when I was 20-something years old. So, <laughs> um, I, uh, I am a, a former teacher. I was a high school teacher and a coach. And uh, so I feel really comfortable in locker rooms and on a baseball field and in a classroom with a whiteboard. Uh, I don't feel really comfortable where we don't get to have the conversation. So although I have been a pastor for 10 years, I've only preached a handful of times. And so if I get lost in my notes, that's usually where I ask you a question. Don't listen to your answer and try and find where I am in my notes. Uh, hopefully, I won't have to use that technique this morning. Uh, my dad was a teacher. My dad was a coach, and he taught, uh, he taught me baseball, and uh, he taught in a really different way. He would say, Brian, try and swing like Willie McGee, and I'd swing like Willie McGee, and he'd say, no, 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 try and swing like uh, Tony Gwynn, and he would just kind of rattle off these different names, and that's kind of the way he taught me, and then I'd swing, and he'd say, okay, you're supposed to swing like Will Clark. It was like very visual, and then as I would, as the bat boy in his, uh, in his dugout, as he was a ba high school baseball coach, uh, he would say, I want you to watch that shortstop, and we're going to talk about that shortstop on the other team after the game. He was like a proverbial parent that was constantly pointing guys out on TV, pointing guys out on the field, pointing people out. And that's kind of uh, how I teach, and that's kind of how I learn. And one of the things that I appreciate and that kind of stands out to me as I read Scripture now is how much the Bible is written in that way. Uh, look at this. So I wrote down a few, like look at the birds of the air, right, when talking about anxiety. 
They're, they're taken care of. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the vine that's pruned and what happens when it's pruned. Look at the tree that's planted by water. Look at that shepherd. Look at the sheep. Look at the ox that are yoked together that are unequal. And all these lessons come out of uh, Jesus and prophets and apostles that are trying to communicate God's truths through what they're seeing in creation. And I really believe in Ephesians, we're seeing this in Paul when Paul says, look at the soldiers. They don't go to battle without their armor. Therefore, put on the armor because uh, it just makes sense, right? Uh, Julie and I just came off uh, a vacation we, we take in the fall. We take a little vacation to the beach each fall. We go to San Clemente. There's no one on the beach in the fall. It's beautiful, and it's just a lot of time of just sitting on the beach and, and watching the kids play and listening to the waves, and it's, it's like a reset every year. We love it. We just came off of it, and I want you to, to look at my kids real quick. Like, so we're on the beach, and we're watching the kids, and, and basically everyone drops all the beach gear, and then they, they, I tell them, like, just get in the water. And now I'm setting up camp. I have a particular way where the umbrella, I want it here, and and the, the beach chairs are kind of facing each other, and I want the ice chest right here so I can put my feet on it, but I can also get a drink. <clears throat> so the kids are out there playing. By the time I sit down next to Julie and we start talking, I notice my kids are way down the beach. And it's been maybe 10 minutes. So I'm watching them, and it's just further and further, and you guys know what this is, right? There's a, there's a rip, strong current. There's a riptide that's happening. So I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I kind of walk briskly, trying to act cool, and then I'm standing, I'm standing trying to get their attention, and they, they come in again on another boogie board ride, and then they go out, and they're going further this way, and I kind of walk further with them, and I'm waiting for them to see me, and finally, I give them this, and they walk in, and I show them where we're at, and I explain what a riptide is. It's a current that comes in. You don't even know it, but it's taking you this way, and you're having fun, and everything's great, but then eventually that thing starts to take you out, and then it gets really dangerous, right? And then you get eaten by sharks. <laughs> and then boogie boarding is over, right? They don't want to go out in the water anymore. As I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking at creation, and I'm th I thought about Ephesians. I thought about what we've been, kind of the journey we've been going on in Ephesians, and that we're living in a riptide. There is a power and a force in that ocean that is creating a current that's moving my kids, that's moving everyone, right? And we just learned that there's a power and there's a force in our world that is moving towards debauchery, destruction, and death. And just like my kids are laughing and playing and having a good time, and they're ignorant in the, futile, in the futility of their thinking, they don't know what's happening. And the world in the same way is under the influence of these powers, these evil powers, cosmic powers over the present darkness against spiritual forces of evil that's creating a pattern to this world and the pattern that is following who? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
And that pattern or that current is marked by living the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and no one really even knows it's happening. Paul says, because of his great love for us, in chapter 2, verse 4, because of his great love for us and because he is a merciful God, he has saved us. He's rescued us. He's followed us. He's given us the sign. To use Paul's language in Ephesians, he said, awake, O sleeper. Like, get your head up and look what's happening. Look how far you've gone. And some of you probably in your salvation testimony probably heard the gospel at some point moving down the beach. Some of you got carried out a little bit further and got scared. And some of you really experienced the panic and the destruction of sin at some of its deepest and darkest levels. But at some point, we heard the gospel. We heard God, wake up, O sleeper, come to the light, come to the truth, put away the foolishness and the ignorance and come to understand what's really happening. And he saved us by waking us up to the truth. And not only has he rescued us from this current or this pattern, but he's also promised to transform us. He calls us his craftsmanship or his workmanship. We've learned this in Ephesians, right? And he's recreating us. What is he recreating us into but the image of God that all humanity was supposed to be? My pastor friend and partner in the ministry in Gilbert, we call it the rehumanization project. He's making us human again as he's forming us into the likeness of Christ. And not only is he reforming us as individuals, but he's reforming a new humanity where Jew and Gentile, every race, every color, every ethnicity, language, nation, tribe, tongue, now have access to God in one new humanity that's being remade into the likeness of Christ. Not only is he creating a new humanity, but this transformation happens in our communities. As we put off the old ways of that current, the pattern of the world, the pattern of the prince of the power of the air, and we put on this new clothing, we put on Christ, we leave behind lies, and we speak the truth. We leave behind what was taking us towards greed, and now we're being led towards generosity, crude speech, encouragement, bitterness, kindness, anger, compassion, forgiveness. We move away, we move away from malice and maligning, and we move towards forgiveness. We move away from sexual immorality and we move towards purity. Paul says it a different way in Colossians. He says that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness, from the rule and influence of darkness, and we have been rescued and transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son or the kingdom of light. It's a new pattern of living that changes our families. We just finished in Ephesians, and I know because I've been listening to your sermons, uh, we just finished talking about how this new way of living transforms a family, transforms a company, transforms a school, and those in higher positions do not lord it over those below them. Fathers don't exasperate their children. Husbands don't lord over their leadership over their wives, but they lay down their life. And those in inferior or weaker positions honor those above as they honor Christ Christ. 
And so in this pattern of the world, it's me, dominance, me, myself, me over you. It's a for myself kind of pattern. And now in this new current, it's a for others pattern. I'm laying down my life for my wife. My wife is, is seeking to honor me and serve and respect, and I'm seeking to serve my children and raise them up to know the Lord, and, and they're seeking to honor me, and those that are working for me are honoring me, and I'm, and I'm seeking to serve them. And it's this posture that is the Jesus pattern rather than the satanic pattern of grasping. We've been rescued from this. And this is the beautiful thing that Paul says. He says that the manifold wisdom of God says to the powers, it's made known to the powers that those powers and forces that have moved us away from God towards death and destruction, when we live in this new pattern or this new current, we say to those powers, you don't rule here anymore. There's a king. His name's Jesus. He's higher than every power and every authority. And I don't have to listen to you anymore. You don't rule here. So the witness of the church, as we live this out in our, in our marriages and with our children and in our communities, this beautiful picture of the way that humanity was supposed to be, the rehumanization of humanity put on display for Tucson, speaks to the powers. You don't rule here anymore. And I can tell just by the way we were greeted here today and the, going through the liturgy and singing with you guys this morning, I was feeling in my bones, Jesus reigns here. Jesus reigns here. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. I don't know if in that just brief kind of walk through the Ephesian story, if you have this like angst, like that's amazing. I want to be a part of that. New humanity, shalom, harmony. Everyone wants to serve one another. Nobody is living for themselves. Our children perfectly honoring us. Like, maybe that's the most appealing out of all of this, right? I want that so bad, and I say yes and amen, and I believe it. But then I'm trying to live it out, and it's a struggle. It's, to be quite frankly, I, I mean, to be quite frank, I lead a congregation where a lot of times I just feel like I'm watching it, I'm watching it move in horrible ways, and they don't even know it. And I'm calling out, awake, O oh sleeper. And just as I'm doing this to my congregation down the beach, I look at my own life, or my wife will point out to me, how I'm getting carried away by the same pattern, maybe in a slightly different way. I don't know if you guys pay attention to baseball at all, but right now the playoffs, the, the Boston Red Sox are in the playoffs. Any Red Sox fans here? All right. We got like two, maybe. All right. Well, maybe this will help. The second baseman, the second baseman for the Boston Red Sox is a Tucson kid. His name's Ian Kinsler. Okay? All right. So imagine we're talking to Ian Kinsler and we say, Ian, what is it going to take to win a World Series? And he goes, oh, Redemption Tucson. All you have to do, really, is to be able to hit a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. <laughs> and then if they throw the slider, you know, you can, like, lay off that pitch. 
until there's two strikes and you got to put it in play. You got to you got to be able to steal bases against these catchers that are insane, insanely talented. And you know what? When they when they square up a ball and they hit a laser right at you, you got to be able to get a glove on it. You pick it up and you just throw it to first base. If you can do that and score more runs than those guys, you guys can win a World Series. And he's not lying, right? <laughs> like, that really is the instruction. He, he answered honestly, yes, that's how you win a World Series. And yet the angst that you feel is like, yeah, but. <laughs> I played college baseball, and I couldn't hit 97, you know? I don't think Dave could. I mean, I'm turning double plays, but the guy's safe at first base. The guy's hitting a laser at me. I'm trying to get my glove on it, and it's past me. And I go, Ian, you're going to have to help me with something else. Like, I understand that's how it's won. You need to give me the key to be able to hit 97. You need to be able to give me the key to actually get my glove on that ball that they hit at me, right? There's something deeper. Paul has laid out in Ephesians that all you have to do, men, you want shalom and peace in your household, all you have to do is love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. And then you go, wait a sec, Jesus was crucified for the church. And you go, I know that's the answer. You're not lying to me, Paul, but I just can't I don't know if I can do that. All you have to do is not get frustrated with your kids, but be patient. Oh, yeah. I go to the parenting class, and that's like, I'm writing that one down. Be patient with the children. And then, not even out of the parking lot, we're frustrated, right? Paul's ending his letter here, and we're kind of ending the final uh, chapter of Ephesians. And he's, he's ending this letter with the secret. He's given us the instruction, but now he's going to give us the secret. When we were on the beach, the lifeguard pulled up on his Jeep, and he had a little speaker, and the megaphone was projected out towards the swimmers. And he must have said 20 times in the last day, there was a red flag, the tide was a little bit stronger than normal, and he'd say, swimmers, make sure you can stand. Swimmers, make sure you can feel the sand. Make sure you can stand. Make sure you can stand. Make sure you can stand. Over and over and over again. Listen to Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Uh, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. Having done all to stand, stand, therefore, Uh, 
Paul realizes that the rescue of the Christian is waking us up to a new reality and giving us the power of, a, of the Holy Spirit that's going to move us in a different direction. But he has not rescued the children from the water and just had them sit out on the beach. He's woken them up to this reality, but he's sending us back as ambassadors. Right? we got to get back in the water. And Paul says he's an ambassador in chains. An ambassador is someone who represents the king. I'm here in a little bit, of a, a, in a small way, an ambassador from Redemption Gilbert. That as you see me, I represent another church that loves you very much. And I'm here hoping to share our love with you and to represent my church here in Tucson. Paul is now in the world that is being swept away by the current, and yet he's an ambassador for a king who he's a citizen of his kingdom, and he doesn't believe in the same values, and he doesn't have to live by the same powers, but he still is in danger of being swept away. Paul says it in a different way. He's also in danger of, in his immaturity, being tossed to and fro by the waves and the wind, right? So he tells us, stand, stand, stand. All right, we have the armor of God. One way we stand is we put on the armor of God. We put on Christ. We've learned that earlier in Ephesians. Then he's going to point us to a different way of standing. And I would argue that this is the way that Jesus stood When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness with Satan, he answered back with truth and faith. This is armor of God stuff, right? Dave preached on it last week. Temptation came, fought off with the shield of faith, answered back with the word of the Lord, and he fought off temptation. But what was he doing in the wilderness? For 40 days, fasting and praying, says he was full of the Spirit, fasting for 40 days. He was full of the, the power that leads to new life. He was full of that kind of power so that he could, he could withstand the other power, the cosmic powers that leading towards sin. And when he stepped into the water and Satan tempts him with that cosmic power and evil force, Jesus is unfazed because he's been with his father praying. And we say, okay, well, maybe, maybe prayer got him through that temptation. We see prayer was a significant part of his ministry in all aspects. In Luke 22, I'm going to turn there really quick. You don't have to turn there with me. But Luke 22, 39, this is the night uh, where Judas came and found him in the garden. It says, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him there. And when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you might not enter into temptation. His instruction to them, how is he asking them to stand in this moment? To not get swept away by temptation? His answer is what? To pray. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and Jesus prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prayed for the power of the Spirit to take him to the cross. Interesting in that passage, it says, as was his custom. He went away on this hill to pray, as was the custom of Jesus. This shows up a lot in the Gospels. Let me read a few. Luke 6, 12. In those days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray. Jesus, up a hill, praying. It's the night before he chose his disciples. Luke 9, 28, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And uh, Matthew 14, 23, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up a mountain by himself to pray. Disciples of Jesus, we obey his teaching. We imitate his character. And the pattern of spiritual formation and devotion that Jesus had, we cannot ignore. Primary in Jesus' ministry was solitude and retreat to pray. In big moments, choosing disciples, going to the cross, withstanding the temptation of Satan, he was praying. In seemingly small moments, before the day had even begun, he's up in the morning praying. Interesting enough that the crowd had gathered and was looking for him, and he comes down the mountain. The disciples say, finally, we've been looking for you. We got the crowd together. And Jesus says, no, actually, we're going to go to a different city. We've got to preach there. Being with his Father, sitting, only doing what the Father says to do, in submission, Jesus knows how to live in that power and in that current. Prayer was not only primary in Jesus' ministry, it's primary in Paul's ministry. How often do his letters refer to how often he is praying for that church? Paul doesn't have the advantage of text messages, emails, coffee shops that he can visit, You know, to come to Tucson would have been quite a walk. And so letters were carried, and Paul primarily had a ministry towards churches like this from a distance through prayer. As often as I pray, I remember you in my prayers and give thanks to God for you. I pray that you'd have a spirit, a power that would enlighten you and that help you understand the depth of God's love for you. These are things he said in in Ephesians already. We have a little bit of Paul's prayer journal in Ephesians. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant to you to be strengthened with the power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, He's instructing them, but his instruction is coming from months of praying for it. 
that God, he's praying that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's telling them, this is what I've been praying for you for. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. Another prayer. He also prayed that, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Prayer request. Picture it. Paul rolls up in his Jeep on the beach. We're ambassadors in the water. And he picks up the little microphone. And he says, stand. Make sure you can stand. And we're getting tossed to and fro. And we're still getting swept. My daughter knows it's happening. And her little 100-pound self is, I can, I can see her. She's walk, it's like moonwalking. I wish I could moonwalk right now. Because that's what it looked like. She's walking forward, but she's moving this way. And Caitlin yells back at Paul, I'm trying. And he says, no, you're standing in your own strength. And we answer back, how do we stand in his strength? And Paul answers back, pray. Pray at all times. Pray in every occasion. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every kind of prayer. All prayer and all kinds of supplication. Supplication is this very humble petitioning of the Lord, a posture of getting on my knees and begging and asking. This is supplication. With all kinds of prayer and supplication about what? Everything? To that end, keep alert. Hey, keep your head up. Look where you're at at the beach. Know what's going on. With all perseverance, making supplication or prayer for who? All the saints. When you guys are praying for other churches, you're praying for all the saints, all the Lord's people. We're praying at all times, but there's a different dimension he's giving now. Pray for all the Lord's people. We're all in the water as ambassadors representing the king. We need the power of the Spirit to withstand this current and to be faithful to proclaim the word of the Lord boldly, the good news that there is a current that leads to fruitfulness, not bad fruit and destruction. He says, and also pray for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here's what's beautiful. I don't know how big the church in Ephesus was. My guess is it's this size or smaller. Small group of people reading this letter. Maybe after they receive this instruction, Paul says, pray for him. What do you think maybe they might have done? Pray for Paul. Now, Paul said earlier in Ephesians that we're praying to a God who can do beyond what we ask or think. Correct? Small church in Ephesus. Paul in chains. No email. No YouTube. No Vimeo. No way to get this word out except through prayer and letters in prisons. And this small church prays for Paul 
but they pray to a God who can do immeasurably more than whatever they asked in that moment. 2,000 years later, we're giving ourselves to the study of the Apostle Paul and this gospel that he proclaimed boldly. 2,000 years later? Was that in their prayer request? Did they kneel before the Lord and say, Lord, there's probably lands across that ocean that we don't even know about called the Americas. Probably there's something. No. They just prayed, Lord, that man Paul, as he's in chains, being an ambassador, telling people to wake up to the reality of the debauchery and the path and to give them good news of Jesus that reigns, that they might be indwelt with the power of the Spirit and live in a new way and be made human again. Their prayers are answered, and globally, Christianity has been affected by the gospel that Paul preached. Out to Gentiles, to Rome, across the ocean, into South America, in China, in Iran, and Australia, and India, Prayer works, and I think a lot of times as we look at our culture and we get frustrated, or we might even look at each other's lives and we get frustrated by the power and the force that we're up against, and it seems impossible. There's no way we can stand. Maybe it's our prayerlessness that makes it impossible. We're going to pray here in a sec, but I'm going to uh, give you five things that I've been working on. Uh, Dave mentioned that we, that we were in seminary together. Dave and I were also in what was called a prayer cohort. It's a fancy word for saying a group of guys that wanted to get better at prayer. So Dave and I would meet with a few other guys on video chat once a week, and it was pretty normal and you know, pretty average. We would just kind of say like, hey, Dave, we're praying for this. How's that going? Hey, how's your prayer life going? And one of the things that came out of that is uh, a prayer cards. So I don't know if you guys have read The Praying Life by Paul Miller. Uh, Dave and I went through it in that prayer cohort. But one of the things he has us do is to make cards. And I have a card that says Julie Berger, and then on the back, here's a few things that I'm praying for my wife. I have one that says Tyler Berger, Caitlin Berger. I have, the, I have one that says Dave Goffney. And on the back, there's prayers about you that I've been praying in your church, in your city. And it allows me, who's kind of scatterbrained, to say, when I say I'm going to pray for you, I make a card. I put it on a ring. There's a hole punch. It's pretty normal, average. And I can flip through that. And sometimes I just see Julie's name and I pray for Julie. And sometimes I flip it over and I take more time and I pray. And I believe that there is power to change the world as we make supplications to a God who can do exceedingly more than we ask or think. Prayer cards are just a mechanism to help me in that. 
Uh, I've made a habit out of passing churches. When I pass churches, I pray for the churches. Sometimes I might pull into the church in the parking lot and actually pray for a while. Sometimes I'm just praying. And I actually met someone here whose dad is the pastor at one of the churches I pray for weekly and almost daily in Chandler, Trinity Fellowship. It was a pretty cool connection to make this morning. Julie knows it as that little white church that Brian loves on the way to work. Um, another thing that's helped me is I open my Bible to the Psalms the night before. I go to bed, either on my desk at work or by my couch, Psalms is open, and I wake up, and there it is. I just need to read a Psalm. I'm just going to sit down real quick before my day, and I read a Psalm, which is a prayer, and I set my watch to 10 minutes, and I listen for 10 minutes. Lord, what do you want me to know? Fill me with your Spirit fill me with your wisdom. 10 minutes. And then I said it again, another 10 minutes, and I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. And sometimes 10 minutes goes by fast, and sometimes it goes long, and sometimes 10 minutes turns into 30 minutes. But it's, again, a, a mechanism, because I believe that prayer works, and it's powerful, a mechanism to help me to get into it. And after uh, Dave and I completed our kind of prayer group cohort, that was so helpful for me. I just grabbed two other guys and I said, let's meet Thursday morning for bagels and coffee and let's just talk about prayer and what we're praying about. Those are a few helpful hints, but I want, I want you to get this. If there was one thing that I wanted you to get today, this current will destroy the pattern of the world it might be, my kids might be playing and having fun, but eventually that takes us out into deep waters. And we need to be alert. And being alert and trying to stand in our own strength is not enough. We need a different power to take us to new life, to be faithful ambassadors. And how we raise our sail like a sailboat to capture that wind or that power, I believe Jesus and I believe Paul were led by that spirit through prayer. So I know Dave says, and all our pastors in redemption, we want to be a praying church. My prayer for you, and it's on my card for you, is that you would become a praying church. Let me pray for us. Father, it's silly for us to believe that we can stand on our own, in our own strength, but you have instructed us to, power, to, to stand in the power of his might, and we've been given access to his power, which is the rule and authority over all kings and all authority and, and all cosmic powers and forces of evil. Lord, we have been given it. We have access to it moment by moment, and this power is committed to reuniting all things that have fallen under the Lordship of Christ. God, help us to be humble people, desperate people that are always making prayer and supplications in all occasions for all people, especially your ambassadors, the church, and especially that the mission would move forward and our, the neighbors that we love could experience rescue. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.